How do we protect one of the primary essentials of life? San Diego recently banned tent camping in the city. The homeless just moved to a riverbed just outside town. West Palm Beach, Florida has banned feeding homeless people. The penalty is a $500 fine and 60 days in the town jail. In Maryland, some school districts are trying to get around federal law that requires educating the children of homeless people. Nashville is making a good-faith effort to help some of their homeless, but the need is overwhelming them. Denver Mayor Mike Johnson is trying to create micro-communities for homeless people, but getting pushback from residents. Same thing is happening here in Portland. Forty-two years into America's Reaganomics experiment, homelessness has gone from a problem to a crisis. Rarely, though, do you hear that Wall Street, the prime beneficiary of Reagan's deregulation campaign, is helping cause it. 32% seems to be the magic threshold, according to research funded by the real estate listing company Zillow. When neighborhoods hit rent rates in excess of 32% of neighborhood income, homelessness explodes. And we're seeing it play out right in front of us in cities across America because a handful of Wall Street billionaires want to make a killing. Housing prices have gone out of control since my dad bought his house in 1957 when I was six years old. He got a Veterans Administration subsidized loan and picked up the brand new three-bedroom ranch house my brothers and I grew up in in southern South Lansing, Michigan. It cost him $13,000, which was about twice what he made every year working a good union job in a tool and die shop. When my dad bought his home in the 1950s, the median price of a single-family house was about 2.2 times the median American family income. Today, the Fed says the median house sells for 374900 while the median American income is 35805 a ratio of more than 10 to 1 between housing costs and annual income. As the Zillow study notes, quote, Across the country, the rent burden already exceeds the 32% of median income threshold of 100 in 100 of the 386 markets included in this analysis. And wherever housing prices become more than three times annual income, homelessness stalks like the Grim Reaper. We're told that American cities have seen this increase in housing costs since the 1950s, in some part because of the growing wealth and population of this country. There were, after all, 168 million people in the U.S. the year my dad bought his house. Today there are 330 million. And it's true that we haven't been building enough new housing, particularly low-income housing, as 42 years of Reaganism have driven down wages and income for working-class people relative to all of their expenses. But that's not the only or even the main dynamic driving housing prices into the stratosphere and, as a consequence, the crisis in homelessness over the past decade. You can thank speculation for much of that. As the Zillow-funded study noted, quote, This research demonstrates that the homeless population climbs flat faster when rent affordability, the share of income people spend on rent, crosses certain thresholds. In many areas beyond those thresholds, even modest rent increases can push thousands more Americans into homelessness. So how did we get here? It started with a wave of foreign buyers over the past 30 years, particularly from China, Canada, Mexico, India, and Colombia, who just last year picked up over 154,000 homes on their way of, as their way of parking money in America. As MarketWatch noted in a 2015 article titled The Danger of Foreign Buyers Gobbling Up American Homes, Unusual high appreciation of the aforementioned urban centers is due to the ever-growing influx of foreign buyers, mostly wealthy Chinese, who view American residential real estate as the safest investment commodity. According to a National Realtors Association survey, the Chinese spent $22 billion on U.S. housing in 12 months through March 2014. 
other foreign buyers include primarily uh, Canadians, British, Indians, and Mexicans. End quote. But foreign investment has been down for the past few years. What's taken over is really driving home and is really driving home prices today are massive multi-billion dollar funds that sweep into neighborhoods and buy everything available, bidding against families and driving up housing prices. As noted in a Wall Street Journal article titled Meet Your New Landlord Wall Street, in just one suburb, Spring Hill of Nashville, quote, in all of Spring Hill, four firms own nearly 700 houses, which amounts to about 5% of all the houses in town. This is the t- tiniest tip of the iceberg. On the first Tuesday of each March uh, of each month, notes the journal article about a similar phenomena in Atlanta, investors toted duffels stuffed with millions of dollars in cashier's checks made out in various denominations so they wouldn't have to interrupt their buying spree with trips to the bank. The same thing is happening in cities and suburbs all across America. The investment goliaths use fine-tuned computer algorithms to sniff out houses they can turn into rental properties, making overmarket and unbeatable cash bids, often within minutes of a house hitting the market. After stripping neighborhoods of homes families can buy, they then begin raising rents as high as the market will bear. In the Nashville suburb of Spring Hill, the vice mayor Bruce Hull told the journal you used to be able to rent a three-bedroom, two-bath house for $1,000 a month. Today, the journal notes, quote, the average rent for 148 single-family homes in Spring Hill owned by the big four Wall Street investor landlords is about $1,773 a month. Ryan December, in his book Underwater, How Our American Dream of Home Ownership Became a Nightmare, describes the story of a family trying to buy a home in Phoenix. Every time they entered a bid, they were outbid instantly, the price rising over and over, until finally the family's father threw in the towel. Jacob was bewildered, writes December. Who was this aggressive bidder? Turns out it was Blackstone Group, now the world's largest real estate investor. At the time, they were buying $150 million worth of American houses every week, trying to spend over $10 billion. And that's just a drop in the overall bucket. In 2018, corporations bought one out of every 10 homes sold in America, according to December, noting that Quote, between 2006 and 2016, when the home ownership rate fell to its lowest level in 50 years, the number of renters grew by about a quarter. This all really took off around a decade ago when Morgan Stanley published a 2011 report titled The Rentership Society, arguing that snapping up houses and renting them back to people who otherwise would have wanted to buy them could be the newest and hottest investment opportunity for Wall Street's billionaires and their funds. Turns out Morgan Stanley was right. Warren Buffett, KKR, and the Carlyle Group have all jumped into residential real estate, along with hundreds of smaller investment groups. And the National Home Rental Council has emerged as the industry's premier lobbying group, working to block rent control legislation and other efforts to control the industry. As John Husing, the owner of Economics and Politics, Inc., told the Tennessean newspaper, quote, What you have are neighborhoods that are essentially unregulated apartment houses. It could be disastrous for the city. Meanwhile, as unionization levels here remain among the lowest in the developed world, Reagan's ongoing war on working people continues to wipe out America's families. At the same time that housing prices, both to purchase and to rent, are being driven through the roof by foreign and Wall Street investors, a survey published by NPR, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, and the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health found that American families are in crisis. Their study found, quote, 38% of all households across the nation report facing serious financial problems in the previous few months. 
There is a sharp income divide and serious financial problems as 59% of those with annual incomes below $50,000 report facing serious financial problems in the past few months compared with 18% of households with annual incomes of 50000 or more. These serious financial problems are cited despite 67% of households reporting that in the past few months they have received financial assistance from the government. Another significant problem for many U.S. households is losing their savings during the COVID-19 outbreak. 19% of U.S. households report losing all of their savings during the COVID-19 outbreak and not currently having any savings to fall back on. At the time the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's eviction ban expired, 27% of renters nationally reported serious problems paying their rent in the past few months. These are not separate issues, and they are driving an explosion in homelessness. The Zillow study found, quote, communities where people spend more than 32% of their income on rent can expect a rapid rise in homelessness. Income growth has not kept pace with rents, leading to an affordability crunch with cascading effects that, for people on the bottom economic rung, increases the risk of homelessness. The areas that are most vulnerable to rising rents, unaffordability, and poverty hold 15% of the U.S. population and 47% of people experiencing homelessness. The Zillow study makes grim reading, and it's worth checking out. In community after community, when rent prices exceed 32% of median home income, homelessness explodes. It's measurable, predictable, and is destroying what's left of the American working class, particularly minorities. The loss of affordable homes also locks otherwise middle-class families out of the traditional way wealth is accumulated, through home ownership. Over 61% of all American middle-income family wealth is their home's equity. And as families are priced out of ownership and forced to rent, they become more vulnerable to long-term economic struggles and homelessness. Housing is one of the primary essentials of life. Nobody in America should be without it. And for society to work, housing costs must track incomes in a way that makes housing both available and affordable. If there ever was a time to solve this problem and regulate corporate and foreign investment in American single-family housing, it's now.